Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27. I've never been able to stay awake when I'm really tired. I'm looking for a streaming service that will stream the second half of all of the movies uh, that I've ever tried to watch. My wife and I will sit down on the couch and we'll just be a riveting movie and I'll wake up at the end of it, and uh, we'll move to bed. And so that's just about how it goes every single time we watch a movie. Same same when we're driving, when we're on a road trip, um, when when I just can't stay awake. I look over at Emily, and I say, "Uh, honey, I I can't. I'm about to fall asleep, and I'll fight it for about five minutes. And she'll say, pull over, pull the car over, and, uh, and we'll switch. But I've always had a hard time staying awake when I'm just ready to sleep. And that even happens in uh, occasions like this. Uh, So when I was a sophomore here at Maranatha, it was opening meetings just like this, and I was seated somewhere over in this vicinity right here, and I was on the struggle bus. I was just having a hard time, and I'm sure it was a fine sermon, and that the message was just, you know, right on point and, and powerful, but I was struggling, and I was doing one of these numbers. You know, when you kind of do the head nod, and then all of a sudden you realize what's happening, and you go, like that? And in one of the head nods, my head went down, and some spittle started to form on my lip. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden I have this spittle on my lip, and I realize I'm sleeping, and I go, and that spittle flew up in the air, and to this day I don't know where it landed. I say all of that to say I recognize that last night I preached for a solid hour, I think, okay? We went for a long time, and it was a deep dive. And so this morning, I want to give you a bit of a break. I want to do the exact opposite. I'm going to try to channel my inner Jerry Savinsky and uh, (laughs) preach a shorter message this morning. So last night, we considered the resurrection our only hope in life and in death. We considered the reality that we need not be afraid of death. It is an enemy, but an enemy that Christ has conquered for us. But this morning, I want to consider the other side of the coin. And I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but we're going to consider the other side of the coin, the brevity of life. Have you ever met someone who possesses the incredible skill of constantly talking about himself. This is the guy that the comedian calls the me monster. He leads with himself. He changes the subject to himself. He brags about himself. His favorite story is, well, it's his own life story. He spends time looking at his own selfies. His favorite subject in school was him, and he'll have you know he got an A as well. If you caught a really big fish, his was bigger. It was huge, actually. If you have an expensive car, his is way better. If you have a big truck, his is bigger. If your kids are good at something one day, his kids are going to smash your kids' lame little accomplishments into oblivion. You get the idea, right? There are people in the world whose mothers have totally failed them. Their mothers never told them, you shouldn't toot your own horn. And so with all this in mind, I think we can all understand Proverbs 27, verse 2 which says, let another man praise thee, not thy own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. 
And so we learn in this proverb that if we are going to receive praise, it would be better to receive it from someone else than to attribute it to ourselves. And so the proverb is simply teaching us not to brag or not to boast about ourselves. But notice then the previous verse. Verse 2 is a warning about bragging before other people, but verse 1 seems to be primarily about bragging before God. Do you see that in verse 1? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't brag about yourself before other people, verse 2, and don't brag about tomorrow before God or other people, verse 1. And so let's focus on verse 1 together this morning, and I want to suggest that this little proverb should accomplish two important works in our hearts, two works that if they will occur in our hearts, they will certainly shape how we live our lives. And so number one this morning, allow this proverb to shatter your sin of prideful presumption. Allow this proverb to shatter your sin of prideful presumption. You see, the verse is pretty simple, actually. It's a negative command, don't do something, and it's followed by a reason for not doing that thing. And so the structure is basically this, don't do this, and here's the reason why you shouldn't do this. Don't boast about tomorrow. It's a command against bragging about our future actions, our future successes, or our future accomplishments. It's a command about dogmatically assuming that you will certainly accomplish what your calendar says you've planned for tomorrow or for this afternoon or for next week or for next month. But not only is this a command against bragging about tomorrow's activities, it's also a command against bragging that you will have a tomorrow at all. The proverb gives us a reason not to boast about tomorrow. Solomon reminds us, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You do not know. I can't brag about tomorrow because not only do I not know what tomorrow may bring, but I may not even live to see tomorrow take place. You see, none of us can know the future. In light of these truths, let's do some work on our hearts this morning. I've called boasting about tomorrow a sin, and I've even called it pride, and I've said that we should let this truth shatter our sin of prideful presumption, but perhaps you're almost objecting in your seat, thinking that this entire proverb and the sermon so far is one big overreaction. I mean, Dave, how can we call this sin? Honestly, to me, it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. I mean, with all the murdering in this world, and the stealing, and the aborting, and the trafficking... Why would you stand up there and preach toward an attitude or a thought process and call it sin? Look at the second portion of the verse. For you do not know. For you do not know what a day may bring. In other words, if you did know what a given day would bring, then you could boast. You could speak dogmatically about all the things that you're going to do and all the places you're going to go tomorrow. If you knew the future, then you could speak as though your plans are certain, but the reality is, is that you don't know about tomorrow. But the implied point is that God knows. And only God knows. And only God can say words like these, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. 
I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. Friends, boasting about tomorrow is serious. Let's think about this just a bit. When I boast about what I am going to do tomorrow, I subtly and foolishly am trying to remove God as the director of my life. You see, our sovereign God decides what's going to happen tomorrow, not me and not you. When I boast about tomorrow, I'm also taking God's grace lightly. How quickly do we forget that we will not keep ourselves alive today or tomorrow? I will only wake up tomorrow because God will be good enough to keep my heart pumping. And it's only by God's sheer goodness that any of us has the opportunity to breathe his air and live in his world. You see, Colossians 1 tells us that it is Jesus who is holding everything together in this moment. It is not me. It is not you. We are not in control. When I boast about what I will accomplish tomorrow, I'm actually saying this to God. I'm saying, God, I'm not really concerned what your will or your desire is because my plans are already set and they're not open to revision. I mean, after all, God, it's on my calendar. It's right here on my phone. That's what I'm doing. And so you're going to need to adjust your plans. When I boast about tomorrow, I'm also living as what some would call a functional atheist. I'm believing that I'm in control of my own destiny. In other words, I would say that I believe in God. I might even give lip service to the reality that he is in control of all things. But in my thought processes throughout the day, God isn't really needed. He's virtually non-existent in my mind. He's not consulted. He's not acknowledged let alone do I think he is needed moment by moment living in humble dependence upon him. When I boast about tomorrow, I am refusing to acknowledge that God alone is the one who knows all things, not me. He alone is the one who knows the end from the beginning, what has been, what is happening, what will happen, and what would have happened. When I boast about the events of the future, I am thinking lightly of God in his astounding attribute of omniscience. It really all boils down to this. When I presume upon being successful tomorrow, or when I assume that I will even have a tomorrow, at one level, I am trying to play the role of God in my life. I'm trying to live autonomously. I'm refusing to live in humble dependence on the God who gives life and breath in all things. So what might it look like in everyday life for someone to boast about tomorrow? Well, to answer that question, let's look back to James' epistle that we looked at yesterday, and I want to ask you to turn there. So keep your finger in Proverbs 27 and turn to James, James chapter 4, very briefly. I think this is a bit reductionistic, but some have noted the parallels between James and Proverbs, and they have called James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And I think you'll see why some people suggest that, because James 4 sounds like an exposition of Proverbs 27. And so look at James 4, 13 through 16 with me. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Did you catch what this guy in verse 13 says? He says, we will go into that town over there. And we will spend a year living in that town. And we will conduct business there. And you know what? We will make a profit there. You see, the ancient Greeks had a very clear way of expressing what might happen. They knew how to say that. But the guy in verse 13 is not talking about what might happen in his mind. Rather, he is expressing what will happen. He's not God. He's not a prophet. He didn't get this information from God's word. No, he's being pridefully presumptuous. He's presuming upon God's future goodness. He's assuming what God may do or allow in the future. And he's doing this with no acknowledgement of God's ruling his life or God's directing all the events of this world. And so James is saying this, hey, aren't you getting a little bit ahead of yourself there, buddy? You're already over here talking prophets. But it shouldn't you be not talking about taking profits, but first talking about taking breaths? You're already at next year. But what about next heartbeat? You see, you're making all these plans for next year to travel and to make money, but yet the simple truth is this, that you can't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. Do you see the pride in this man's approach to life? How can we not see it? In reality, none none of us is guaranteed another breath, but yet this individual thinks he's guaranteed a financial profit in business. Does he not realize everything that can go sideways in business? Friends, let's remember that our God hates the sin of pride. He doesn't want to see pride in the hearts or the attitudes or the words of his children. James and Peter both write that God resists the pride. The, the proud. Uh, forgive my juvenile mental pictures, but when I read that verse, I can't help but think of the Heisman Trophy, right? The guy in the Heisman Trophy that's doing the stiff arm, right? The defender's trying to get him, and what does he do? Kapow! Just like this. I think of the stiff arm to the would-be tackler, and I think that I understand God as stiff-arming the proud. He pushes them away. He doesn't allow them near him for this relational closeness. And presumption about our future is a form of pride. It's this independent and autonomous heart attitude that says to God, I don't need you. James concluded his thoughts in verse 16. He says, but now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. There's a better choice, friends. As we consider the Proverbs, we're really left with a simple choice. I can pridefully boast about tomorrow without the knowledge of what a day may bring, or I can humbly trust the God who holds all of our tomorrows, for he not only knows what a day may bring, but he directs the events of the universe with his powerful and loving care. He combines both. You see, what comfort would it be if God were all-powerful but was not disposed to love and care for his children? What comfort would it be if God were all loving and cared for his children but didn't have the power to watch over our lives and to protect us and to guide us? But friends, our God is both. 
He's all-powerful and He loves His children. And so it makes perfect sense in Proverbs 3, verse 5, to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And so we've said, number one, that we should allow this proverb to shatter our sin of prideful presumption. But there's a second thing and the last thing that the truth of this proverb should accomplish in us. Number two, this proverb should shake you from your sin of prideful procrastination. Not just presumption on the future, but procrastination in light of the future. Let's read the proverb one more time. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I think we've all heard, or maybe we've said the following before. I found this great exercise regimen on the internet. This guy on YouTube, he's just crushing it. And I'm so inspired. And I start tomorrow. Or I heard about this new diet plan. It's taking all these superfoods and you blend them together in this blender. And you just drink it in, this, in the morning and it's magic six-pack abs. I start tomorrow. Or you hear young people and they say, yeah, we're going to buy a house pretty soon. Tomorrow, we're going to stop going out for dinner every night, and tomorrow, we're going to start paying off our credit cards, and tomorrow, we're going to give up $5 coffees every day. Tomorrow, we will do all of this. Have you met individuals that are going to do great things, big things, world-conquering things tomorrow? All the while, the necessary and basic and non-glamorous things like spiritual disciplines, they go undone today. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, men spend so much time in building castles in the air that they have no stones left to build so much as a cottage on the ground. They're wasting all their energies on tomorrow and consequently they have no time to reap the fields of the present for they're waiting for the heavy harvest of the future. But friends, the person that lives life in this way is a biblical fool. In fact, when we put off until tomorrow what we we should be doing today we are the definition of a fool the reality is this if i wake up tomorrow morning it will be by god's grace if i finish the sermon it's because jesus allowed me to if the atoms that comprise our bodies hold together today it's because jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power and if the earth continues to spin on its axis staying just the right distance from the sun it's again because jesus is holding all things together Friends, we like to think we're in control of everything in our lives, including the opportunities that we might have tomorrow, but this is a dangerous illusion. You see, the only breath you're guaranteed is the one that you just took. You see, nobody wakes up thinking, today I'm going to lose my job. Today I'm going to get cancer. Today I'm going to have a car accident. Today will be my heart attack. Tomorrow, I'll be involved in an active shooter situation. It's not how life works. I'll never forget one of my first solo road trips. I was driving from Detroit to Cincinnati to visit my grandmother down I-75, and I was again flying solo, and I was living large. I was in my 1987 Crown Victoria. You think huge boat of a cop car. You know, this one was so cool, it even had, wait for it, it even had a compass mounted on the dashboard. 
I mean, you're, you're, you've never lived if you didn't have one of those, right? I had the tape deck, and out of the tape deck, I had the little cord that connected to my Discman CD player, right? And so I'm living large. I'm driving. Actually, got to tell you a quick story. This car was actually totaled by our drunk neighbor. He plowed into the back of it. And so my dad and I took a sledgehammer and we banged out the back end of this car through the trunk and we spray painted it. And my dad handed me the keys and said, son, now it's yours. Okay? (laughs) See, that was my first car. And so I'm cruising down I-75. I think I'm I'm jamming out to Oh Love Divine by the Pettits. (laughs) And this new red Grand Prix pulls up next to me. Teens were jamming, apparently, to different music. They were smiling and having a blast, and honestly, I kind of wanted to be with them because it looked like they were having so much fun, and their car was way cooler. A few exits down, I stopped for lunch, and I pulled over into Wendy's, and I grabbed my two Junior Bacon Cheeseburger, Biggie Fry and Frosty, lunch of champs. I got back on the road, and just down the road, maybe a half hour, there was this traffic jam And we were backed up forever, just inching and inching and inching. And when I finally got up to the site, I saw what was left of a red Grand Prix. Was it the same kids? I have no way of knowing for sure. What I do know is that it easily could have been. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. The reality is that none of us is guaranteed another moment to do the things that are most important in this life. Psalm 104 verse 29 says, The Lord takes away men's breath. They die and return to the earth. We just read in James chapter 4 that we don't know what is going to happen on tomorrow because our lives are vapors, that they're here for a moment and then they're gone. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 that it's appointed unto men to die once. The psalmist says in Psalm 39, he's lamenting, and he says to the Lord, you've made the number of my days as a mere handbreadth. That's the distance from your uh, thumb to your pinky. You've made my days this long, the psalmist says. You see, none of us is guaranteed another moment to do the things that are most important. There are some things in this life that we don't procrastinate about. (laughs) If you have an abscessed tooth, you don't say, you know, I really should budget next year to have this tooth pulled out of my mouth. If you slice your finger off, you don't make an appointment three weeks from now to have it sewn back on. I I, I don't know about you, but I don't procrastinate about eating. Hopefully next week I'll find a good meal. Why is that? It's because those things are so obviously urgent to us. But the most important items in our lives are spiritual, and these are rarely the most urgent. But spiritual things become urgent when we see them against the backdrop of the brevity and uncertainty and frailty of human life. And so we need this. We need this as God's grace gift to us today to be shaken and reminded that I may not have another day to answer spiritual questions. I may not have another day to pursue that relationship with God that I've always desired. You see, we can't afford to sit around thinking about what we might do for the Lord one day or how we will grow in Him one day or how we will uh, make effort to understand the Bible one day. The reality is that you may not have another day to do these things. 
At our church, I close my sermons with Lakewood Lessons. They're just applications for life. And I want to give you the rapid-fire version of Lakewood Lessons just to get your mind moving this morning. I want to give you seven spiritual items that you can't afford to procrastinate about. And I want to give these to you rapidly. Number one, you cannot afford to procrastinate about responding to the gospel. Perhaps you've heard this message your entire life. That we're all personally sinners. That we violated God's law. That we deserve his punishment forever in a real place called hell. Perhaps you've heard so many times that Jesus came to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins, that he died in our place on the cross. Perhaps you heard, as we talked about last night, how he conquered death. Perhaps you've heard that salvation is not by works. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Perhaps you've heard that we must turn away from our sin and our desire to run our own lives and we must place our faith in Jesus and in him alone in order to be saved. But you've done nothing personally with this message. You assume you're going to have another chance. You assume that there's going to be another day, a better time, a more convenient season of life, perhaps an era when the cost of following Christ is maybe not going to be so high. Friends, don't be this foolish. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And if you die without responding to the gospel, you will enter an eternity in hell in that moment. Number two, you can't procrastinate about identifying with Christ in baptism. Maybe you've been saved already. Maybe you're a student at Maranatha Baptist University, but you've never gone public with your faith in Christ. Well, what's holding you back? Well, Pastor Dave, uh, baptism isn't a requirement for salvation. I get that. But it's also true that saved people should want to go public with their faith. You shouldn't procrastinate about your daily pursuit of God. Well, I'm going to start growing tomorrow. Uh, one day I'll learn to pray. Uh, one day I'll start reading the Bible. One day I'll finally memorize that passage that I've always wanted to memorize. How about we start today? The sweetest times in my own personal walk with God, I, I didn't realize how much time I had when I was a student. My sweetest times of walking with the Lord Second floor Judson, taking my Bible down to the emergency exit stairwell, which I don't really think I was supposed to be there, but taking my Bible down there where I could finally get peace and quiet and sitting at the bottom of that stairwell and just pouring over God's word and saying, God, teach me. You realize this is the season in your life where you are going to be establishing disciplines and practices that are going to go with you for the rest of your life and your season of growth during this greenhouse that is Maranatha Baptist University, this season of growth could put you on a trajectory to walk with Christ the rest of your life if you will not waste it and if you will not procrastinate uh, over a daily pursuit of God. You can't afford to procrastinate about evangelism. Do the fires of hell not seem real to you? You can't afford to procrastinate about repentance over a hidden sin. So one day you're going to forsake it, huh? Let this truth scare you. 20 years from now, you may wake up saying the same thing. 
Or tomorrow you may wake up in the very presence of God saying the same thing to God. I was going to turn from it soon, Lord. You can't procrastinate over the restoration of a broken relationship. Do you want to attend the funeral of a parent that you refuse to forgive? You can't procrastinate over being committed to your church. Oh, one day when my season of life isn't so busy, I'll get really serious about my role in the local church. Well, how about God's people and God's work coming before everything else right now? There's a cemetery by a home I used to live in in Delafield. We used to have to drive by the cemetery literally every trip we took every day. Yesterday, I ran past the cemetery here in Watertown, and I was reminded of this. Just about every time I would drive by that cemetery, just about every time I go past any cemetery, I think about this verse. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the close attention that these students have given to the word of God. Thank you for their hunger. Now, Father, as your spirit is doing a work of conviction in our hearts, addressing our pride that we'll have another day, addressing our procrastination about spiritual urgent things, I pray again that we would simply submit, that we would say yes to the Holy Spirit as he's working in our lives. I ask you just for a moment of silence here as you contemplate what God's word has said and how God has confronted us through his word this morning. I want to give you about a minute of silent prayer to simply say yes to how God is at work. Would you take a minute and just spend time in prayer? Father, please continue to change us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.